A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my lit yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Friday with Friends and I welcome back Cameron Rogers, the freckled foodie. Last week, we touched on subjects like how to transition to working for yourself and tips from working from home. And we went over a little bit of Cameron's like kind of meteoric rise into entrepreneurship um, just in two short years. Today, we're going to go into some more personal topics that I think really resonate with everyone at all times, but especially now. Anxiety. Anxiety being this huge emotional state that has many triggers and many reasons. So we'll talk about that and um, you can personalize it. But welcome back, Cami. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, it's so it's always lovely to have you, um, especially since you know we have this history and and I I remember just as a as a drop or as a backdrop, your mom mm-hmm. um, a couple decades ago when I was when I first taught her yoga, she was anxious. You know, and she'd yeah. be like, oh my gosh, am I going to, when we started trying to do handstands, she was like, am I, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to fall and break my neck. I'm going to break my neck. Like she, she said, like, I have anxiety. It's like, I'm always thinking I'm going to, I'm going to die. Something's going to happen. Yeah. She's very doomsday anxious. Yeah. And I just, I, it was, and I don't, I didn't grow up with that type of, like that type of um, open anxiety, really. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. she's very open about it. And then she's, but she said, you know, yoga, her Reiki, um, all of that has has really been a huge lifesaver for that. When did you realize that you might have anxiety and, and what did it first like present as? Mm -hmm. So it's honestly been really interesting for me because as you said, my mom has been very open about the whole topic. Same with her sisters and my whole family. We... I've never been embarrassed by, ashamed, felt less than, or any of those emotions around my anxiety. 
And because I'm so open about mine as well on my platform, Freckled Foodie, I get a lot of people that reach out saying either, thank you so much for being so open about this. It has helped me a lot when it's it's really just something I've never even thought about. I don't feel like I'm being open. I just am talking about it. But then also a lot of how does your partner deal with this? How does your family handle this? Are they judgmental? And I'm so fortunate that I've never, ever felt judged for any of those emotions because I know how difficult that would be. And so I really appreciate the upbringing that I had in the open discussion of this. But interestingly enough, I never noticed some of my emotions were quote unquote anxiety until I got older. And so I have these very, very extremely vivid memories of sitting in my parents' living room with my younger cousin. And I don't know why this was ever even something we were discussing, but the concept of time never ending and the idea of when you die, what happens. And I just, I, I can't explain it, but for some reason, that was the conversation that we had had. And I started to feel really nauseous and short of breath. And what I now know was definitely anxiety. I just kept saying, this conversation makes me feel like I'm going to throw up. We have to stop talking about it. And I'd always say, I don't, again, I have no idea why this is so commonly discussed, but I'd be like, stop talking about it. I feel like I'm going to throw up. So it's very clear to me because that's still a trigger for me in a weird way. It's very clear that I was anxious from a young age. I just didn't know it necessarily. And I then think when I was in high school, you know, I was very intense about sports. I wasn't nearly as focused on academics, but with sports, I was anxious in a sense of performing. Uh, and I always wanted to make sure that I was doing well and the best I could and that we were winning. And I was making sure I'm a big people pleaser and so that I wasn't letting anyone down. And when I went to college, I, I did fine in high school. I wasn't like excelling as a student. And when I went to college, I, I don't know what changed, but the first semester, I really like took it very seriously. And I ended up getting a 3.9 for that fall GPA. And that, for me, almost sparked this intense anxiety of, I have to do this well every semester. Like I can't do worse than this. And you so set then the bar I went, really high. Most people, oh, are, yeah. like, most people are coming I in know. and have, <laughs> not, not, you know, they're, they're doing a lot yeah. of other things and not doing academics to that degree. Wow. I set, I set it very high and I'm someone that like sets high expectations for myself and is hard on myself. And I think then through college, my anxiety definitely funneled into my schoolwork and lacrosse as well. But I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but I just, I was always rewarded for my anxious behaviors in a way because I was always doing well at school. So then I was getting high honors and I was doing well in sports. So then I was, you know, named captain. And it was all of these things that were encouraging my behavior, not that anyone was doing that purposely. But because of that, I never was really acknowledging the underlying emotions of my anxiety. And it wasn't until I started in the corporate world where I noticed small things. Like I had really bad digestive health issues, which is a huge, huge body response for me. And as we're speaking right now and all of the coronavirus epidemic and pandemic that's happening, my stomach has been a mess for the past three weeks because of it. Um, and it's clear to me. And so that kind of got me thinking about things. I ended up getting like shingles, which I am way too young to be having. And there were just many things that kind of had me start to realize I'm more anxious than I've ever admitted. And so through admitting it and then accepting it and then working on it, I've 
changed immensely. But, you know, no matter how much work I do, I meditate daily, I journal, I cut back on caffeine, sleep is really important to me, I exercise. Um, you know, I actually am on medication now. I still, like everyone else, suffer from similar things. It's just now I'm not running so high anxious where I'm like walking down the street, coming up from a grocery store and all of a sudden pure anxiety, which is a stage that I've unfortunately been in. So now it's more that I have it kind of, I've, I've put these, I've implemented these practices. Now only certain things can really spark it, if that makes sense. Yes. Now, did, when you, did you ever have, I mean, maybe you have this a lot. Do, do you have panic attacks in any version? So I actually suffered from my first panic attack when I was in a workout class, actually, pretty recently. And I woke up and I felt extremely anxious, but you know, I still like chugged down my cup of coffee and went to a high intensity workout class. And, you know, workouts have always helped me. So I thought that this would, but it just wasn't, it was a, it wasn't the right workout for that specific day. And I felt all of a sudden like I couldn't breathe. And, you know, my chest felt very constricted. My, I just felt very heightened on every level. I didn't feel grounded at all. And I thought to myself, what the heck is happening? I think I'm about to have a panic attack. I need to leave this class. And so I ran into the bathroom and I sat on the toilet and locked the door. And for me, panic attacks, and I've now had like four or five since then, I think what helps me the most and what my therapist has really helped me with is acknowledging that they're happening and accepting it. Because I think the hardest thing is what's happening to my body right now. And I'm big on the fear of the unknown being a trigger. And so what's going to happen next? And health is a big trigger for me. And so as soon as I sit down and like put my feet on the ground and just say, let this wash over me like a wave, it kind of rides up. I eventually release and my release, I like start hysterically crying and then it, it fades. And so as soon as I let it happen, I found that that has helped me immensely instead of fighting it and building and building and turning into something more. Yeah. I've only witnessed one panic attack. Um, with a friend and, mm-hmm. and I, she had, you know, casually mentioned she had had panic attacks and then we happened to be, you know, vacationing together. And, mm-hmm. and it was, it was interesting to observe it. To, and it really actually gave me a lot more understanding of like, it is a visceral full yeah. body experience. Like she was shaking and it, like hard to breathe and kind of rocking and, yeah, she told me later that in, in her therapy too, it was like literally called riding the mm-hmm. wave. Like, yeah, don't exactly. don't like try and ignore it. You actually have to let all your your body respond in all the ways and just kind of go and move through it. And then there's this kind of like mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah. But it just ever since I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. So when I've heard people say panic, because I knew, before that I had no idea what is a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? Like, do you just run in the streets? Like, do you just like hyperventilate? But it's like it, I mean, I'm sure there's different versions of it, but this one Mm -hmm. I could see it is a full visceral response to to stress. Like it's like the stress has just overloaded and it's like steam's Mm -hmm. coming out and it has to get out even more. Yeah. I kind of think of it as like, if you shake up a Coke bottle Mm -hmm. and you see the carbonation at the top, it eventually needs to like release. And so it happens to me a lot 
and I'm very fortunate that it's not a common thing, but for me, it's a lot of pent up anxiety that then just needs to, it like the cap needs to fly off for a second. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Now what, I mean, do you find, obviously meditation has helped you tremendously. It sounds like That's what other, what other me. things journaling, but, um, mm-hmm. does sometimes more, like you are saying, like probably more vigorous movement could help because it could kind of get some of that steam out or not. So I'm trying to figure that out, honestly, currently. So meditation for me, I meditate twice a day, every day. Um, I practiced with this woman, Emily Fletcher in New York City. She does an in-person course called Viva Meditation, but they also offer it online. And I highly recommend it's a different type of practice and it's been life-changing for me. And then journaling every morning, I just write down three things I'm grateful for and three things I'm manifesting. And in very anxious times, I try to do more just like free journaling. So I just write whatever's on my mind, no prompt or actual goal. It's just a brain dump for me. Um, Exercise, I really enjoy running, but it's easy for me to get into that obsessive behavior over the numbers of it. So I would run, but solely for the joy of moving my body and being outdoors. I'm not tracking anything. I'm not timing anything. But, you know, I love a good high intensity workout, but sometimes that puts me more into the fight or flight mode, which isn't always helpful for me. So I try to vary my exercises. So I'm doing weightlifting, some running right now, um, some boxing, but then also some yoga and Pilates to try and give my body like all aspects of that. And another thing is, for me, I mean, therapy has been incredibly beneficial. I'm really, really fortunate that I'm able to see a therapist on a regular basis. If there's one thing I could wish I could grant everyone, it would be free therapy. As I mentioned, I actually am on a medication and that actually, it, it was very interesting because my anxiety always manifested in my stomach. And after my car accident, it started to manifest in migraines. And so since the accident for the first year, I woke up every single morning with a headache and it would turn into a migraine or it would get worse or it would get better. And I just never knew. And I never noticed that my body could kind of rewire how it's manifesting anxiety. And so finally with my neurologist, I was just so fed up with the whole situation. And he was like, I brought my mom with me because I just felt like I get very emotional around that whole accident. And I needed someone there to kind of like understand all the information I was being given and also speak up for me. And he had said, are you more anxious or stressed right now? And I'm like, no, you know, I left my job in sales and trading. I'm working for myself. I should be the happiest I've ever been. And I think I was really like gung ho on that idea. And my mom turned to me and said, I don't want to hurt your feelings. You're definitely less stressed now, but you are a hundred percent more anxious. And I think I had just been denying that because I, I felt like JP Morgan and my job there had given me so much anxiety that I was having a hard time accepting that being my own boss, I was more anxious. But, you know, unfortunately, your body can rewire and trigger different things for how you're manifesting anxiety. And specifically after concussion, it can lead to headaches. And so I am on a medication that's technically an antidepressant, but it's given to a lot of post-concussion patients helping the like neurological receptors. And it's helped me immensely in both my headaches and my anxiety. So I'm really grateful for that. And I'm all for like destigmatizing that entire thing. Because the second I said I was on 
a medication for this. It was like everyone in their mothers came out of the woodworks and like, oh yeah, I'm on a medicine too. I'm like, I've been your friend for five years. How do I not know that you're on medicine for anxiety? Like no one talks about it. No, um, I totally agree. I think it's so yeah. interesting that um, there's so many things we're open about. People will talk about, you know, their, their female parts and all that. But, oh, then, totally. but, but then when you talk about the brain and the neuro- yeah. neurology, it's somehow like, you know, yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's still a stigma there. And, you know, yeah. even, um, but our, everything contributes to that. You know, the way the healthcare system is Absolutely. set up, it's not at all there to support people in mental mm-hmm. wellness in all the ways, holistic, all the holistic stuff and the med- yeah. medical part. You know, my, I don't know if you knew, but my, one of my triplet brothers is a mm-hmm. um, child adolescent psychiatrist. I and think like, you told me about yeah, that. Yeah. So I'll just call him up and I'll ask him questions about, you know, what do you think of this or this? And, you know, mm-hmm. he just like, he just thinks, look at it. Like if it was anything else and it could contribute to a greater well-being, you wouldn't think twice about it, you know? Absolutely. And, I'm like, and even with therapy, it's like, if your knee is hurt, you're going to go to a physical therapist. Yeah. And so if your brain and your mental health need help, why wouldn't you go see a professional for that? And so for me, those things have been incredibly helpful. I also am someone that loves to talk things out. So if I am getting obsessed or anxious over a thought, I'll call my husband or if I'm with him and I'm like, I just need to say this because I go down these like rabbit holes in my own mind. And as soon as I say them out loud, I just feel this instant release. So finding someone in your life that you know will never judge you for anything you say, that's been so helpful for me. I just say whatever I'm thinking and we either talk about it or we just let it go and it's out. And I'm, I feel better just having it out of my own brain. And he doesn't and try. Also, he doesn't try to like, you know. What unfortunately, it's we're all in our gender roles, but males yeah. have gotten the bad rap of like always trying to fix things. Like, oh, you say no, something, he doesn't. He doesn't. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So he just and listens. He's he just listens. And you know, it's been a long journey. We've been together for almost like thirteen years now, so we definitely know how to help one another in those ways. But. I've had to be very open with him, but also with my family of like, when I'm anxious, this is what helps and this is what doesn't. So for me, people oftentimes will just say, well, why are you anxious? And that to me is like, like well, the I worst don't know thing what, to say. You know? yeah. yeah, the worst thing. So what are some things um, that would be, can tell us some of the things yeah. that are helpful? So for me, versus not the, com- the conversations I've really had with my mom of like how to help me when I'm anxious versus make me more anxious is to not ask, why are you anxious? But to ask first, is there anything I can do to help you right now? And also figuring out how people like to handle their situations. Because for me, I don't like physical touch if I'm anxious. So when people try to hug me, I I don't want to be held. I don't want to be touched or coddled. I want my own space, but I know that varies for people. So having that conversation with whoever it is in your life that you're trying to assist. Another thing is sitting down and being like, what emotions are you feeling right now? Because that's more concrete than what's making you anxious. Because I can say, my chest feels tight. My stomach really hurts. I feel heightened levels of cortisol, you know, whatever it is. And then also like, what would make you happy? Because that's another thing that usually I can pinpoint. And so once we know what can make me happy or how I'm feeling or what they can do to help, if I just focus on that rather than all the things I can't control, that helps me calm down. Can you give me an example of what you said before? Like what would make you happy? Yeah. So like for me, for instance, my stomach is in like 
full cramp mode for the past three weeks because of everything that's happening right now. It's just hitting all of my anxiety triggers. And so if it's like, what would make me happy? I could say, I wish my stomach ache would go away. And then my mom's like, okay, well, what are things in the past that you know statistically help you? And I'm like, okay, can we just make a pot of like warm lemon and ginger tea? Some, and like that is just such an easy action. Mm-hmm. And we're putting the emotions into action rather than just like going down a rabbit hole and spiraling. I've done that with my daughter because she has had really bad menstrual cramps. And it's oh, like, yeah. yeah, I have a few so, things I'll send you. So the hot, oh, good. Cause hot water bottle, like that's like, yeah. It, now it's like such a like short, shortened code all the time. She'll be like, mm-hmm. mom, do you have the hot one? And I just know. And it's like yeah. before she gets into that really like where she feels awful and she's grouchy. I mean, she might be grouchy too, but you know, it is more like, okay, we know this has helped. So let's just go right there. Exactly. I also personally, I go down these deep holes of what ifs and something my therapist has, you know, sometimes it actually helps for me. And if you watch This Is Us, sometimes Beth and Randall do this where they're like, worst case, what are you thinking? I actually say out loud to Joe, and usually it is Joe, but I am usually just saying all of my what if thoughts and where they're leading me. So what if I don't get this, you know, whatever it is, and I go down whatever that spiral is. And as soon as I say it out loud, I realize how absurd that sequence of events sounds. And my therapist also made me realize that of all the insane and wild scenarios I've painted in my mind, none of them have come true. And shitty things have happened, there's no doubt, but I've never actually created that what-if scenario. And so statistics are actually on my side of those not being true. So when I get in that mindset, I'm a numbers person. I think back, like I have data on my side to prove that this will not happen and that I am actually not going to go down this and that this will not be my future. And that in a odd way calms me down. Yeah. And also just saying it out loud kind of immediately lessens the power it has versus Mm -hmm. living in the cave of your mind. It can really create, you know, it can gain its own momentum for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And what are the things that are not helpful that people would say? Because I think that's important too. It's kind of like grief when, you know, you, you hear about all the things people are well-intentioned. So usually it's not because they're thoughtless. It's just, they just don't Mm -hmm. know what to do or say. So what are some things that aren't helpful when you're feeling that way? Right. And I think people are saying these things in an effort to help. I don't mean will against any of them. I just don't think they're actually helpful. Um, So for me, it's like going in for a big hug and not letting me go. That's a big one for me. Yeah. Uh, um, and Joe now suffocating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Joe will ask, do you want to be held or not? And like every once in a while I will. Um, why are you anxious? Also saying everything's fine. There's nothing to worry about. That doesn't really help anyone because Mm -hmm. everything might be fine, but that doesn't change that I'm still worrying about things. Um, or calm down, relax. That's my big, (laughs) like, no, don't ever tell a female to relax. (laughs) I know. I love that there's like never in the history of telling somebody to calm down, have they ever calmed down? It's like actually the opposite effect. Yeah. 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 Um, also deep breathing. I meant to say this, but when I'm something that helps me is doing the deep breaths of like counting in for four breaths or breathing in for four counts, holding for four counts and releasing for four counts. That's been really helpful for me. 
Well, this I think will help so many people because there, I think, I hope um, so. I, I know it will because there's so many people that are either themselves anxious or living with people that are anxious. And it's, mm-hmm. it's good to know both sides because you, you don't know the things that are going to be helpful. And for, for anybody that is dealing with anxiety, I think Kimmy just going, you know, on her website and reading more because I know you blog about it and have, mm-hmm. you've done a lot of internal work and external you know, practices that have obviously led you to where you are. And I think it's wonderful to acknowledge like kind of like you're going to, this is something you're going to live with. It's, it's who you are. And it's, it's like, Mm -hmm. we all have these things. And so why not get as equipped as we can to give ourselves the best shot at feeling the most balanced and optimal um, Mm -hmm. and not trying to fix it, but improve upon the condition of it because it will be there, Mm -hmm. you know? Now, another thing that you've talked a lot about, and I'm, I'm imagining there's a lot of cross-section between anxiety and body issues, but you've, you've been speaking about body issues, which, you know, my gosh, this, this is a, this is such a huge topic. It's, we only are going to like take a little nibble out of it, but you know, you again, um, grew up athletic. You have, you know, you know, by all accounts, a great body. You, what, when did you first start to have any awareness of something that was going on with your body that you didn't like in the form of loathing or anxious or... So I will say my entire childhood and life up until really graduated from college. Like, so all through childhood, high school, college, I never once thought about it. Never once thought about what I was eating, how I looked, what fit me, what size I was, weight. Like that was never something that I grew up thinking about. And I think a lot of privilege goes into that because I have great genetics, but also because I was playing so so many different sports and I was so incredibly active, even in college, three hours to four hours a day, every single day. It really, it's, you know, it's hard to not be in shape. Yeah. You're not even putting an effort towards it. You're just showing up for practice. And I was, I was very fortunate to have started and played every game and it was, it wasn't like I was working out. It was, for me, I was just going to play lacrosse. And so it wasn't ever anything I really thought about. And it wasn't until I graduated from college where A, I realized, oh, wow, I actually have to like make time to work out because I've never had to do that before in my life. And not only do I have to make time, but I'll never have as much time as I've been working out in the past four years at college. I'll have to figure out what works for me. All of a sudden, I'm not responsible. I'll have to be accountable for myself. I'll have to somehow maximize the limited amount of time I have. And so all of that. And then also I was sitting at a desk. I was going out to a lot of client dinners. I was drinking, I, I, you know, all of these different things were happening at once. And it was kind of like the perfect storm for me. And so for me, I definitely gained weight, not in a numbers way, because I've never owned this. I mean, we had a scale in our house growing up, but it was almost like a decorative thing. Like never, no one ever stepped on it. It was like this pretty glass thing in our bathroom. I think just because people thought you had to have a scale in your bathroom. I don't know. Um, so I never grew up weighing myself in college. I remember seeing someone move in and bringing a scale with them, like a few girls. And I was mind blown because I didn't know that that was something that people did. And after college, I felt like I was gaining weight. It wasn't a numbers thing, but I could just tell. And so I started to think, okay, I'll get back into working out more. And for me, running, I never ran 
quote unquote, but you know, I was running in sports. And so that was the thing I turned to. And as I mentioned, I'm a very numbers focused person. And it was such a tangible asset for me to assess how many miles am I running? What is my speed that I'm running at? How long am I going? And you know, with all the apps, you can compare it to past runs. And I don't real I don't think I realized how obsessive I was becoming until I was getting anxious over whether I was going to be able to get a run in the next morning before work. And I started to get a little bit more obsessive over other aspects of my life, of what I was eating. And I was never not eating, but I was being a little bit more strict. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of my digestive health issues led to this because I had to do all of these elimination diets and like track everything I was eating. And then it, it unfortunately can form some obsessive thoughts. And there's a very fine line to walk with them. And I noticed the memory I have that really like put everything into perspective for me was I was running a ton. I had lost a lot of weight. I had was probably the thinnest I've ever been. And, you know, I had lost a lot of parts of my body that I actually love, like my female parts, like a butt and boobs. And I remember seeing everyone at the Equinox women's locker room weighing themselves. And I started to think, is this what people do? Like, did I just miss out on this like woman code situation? And so I started to weigh myself in the morning. And I noticed after like two weeks that my brain was feeling happier around a lower number. And that's when I took a step back and was like, this is not who you are. We're cutting this shit right here. And so I cut back on running. I never got back on a scale, but that number has always stuck in my mind because it was definitely the lowest I had ever been. And over the past two years, I've definitely gained weight because I've reevaluated my relationship with exercise. I've cut out limits on what I'm eating. Um, I have just been kinder to myself and less obsessive in many ways. And it's been an interesting journey for me because while I'm so grateful and proud of myself for doing all of these things, there was still a part of me that was holding on to that old number. And I didn't really notice it until recently when I was at a doctor's office. And that's really the only time I'm getting weighed. And every time I would compare it to that really low number that I had remembered. And a month ago, I was at a doctor and I caught myself doing it and like doing the math of, okay, how much have I gained since then? And I was like, what the hell are you doing? This number that you're comparing, you A, looked like a child and you're a woman. B, your body wasn't functioning. Like I hormonally was not working. And C, that is so long ago. Like we evolve, we grow as humans in so many physical and emotional ways. And I have done that. And I really think I should be proud of that rather than beating myself up over it. And so that was a big aha moment for me. And it's similar to the what I was saying about anxiety. The more I have these discussions and talk about it and I'm open about the topic, A, the more I feel I'm helping people and that's my whole mission with this. But B, I just feel so much more valued by my experience and also like less alone mm -hmm. and out of my own head. And so once I kind of have experienced this journey, I was going through these emotions of, okay, I'm no longer like, yes, I, I still think I'm very fit and I have a great body. I love my body, but you know, I'm no longer the like very, very skinny one out of friends. And I'm no longer the one that's always going to be acknowledged first if we walk into a bar, if that makes sense. And those are things that I had to come to terms with and then realize I never look at any of my friends. And if someone said, list your top five things about every friend, body, 
and looks would never even come close to that list. So why am I holding myself to such an intense standard when it comes to those things? And, you know, I'm not saying I just did a solo podcast episode on this. And I think it's really hard with this whole body positivity movement as much as I love it. I think sometimes it can also make some of us feel discouraged because I'll look at someone who's like, I love every inch of my body. And I'm like, I don't even love how, like I'm doing another thing wrong. I don't love every inch of my body. Um, (laughs) Is the idea behind that, that no matter what size these people are, that they love themselves? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, oh my God, these, like if everyone like this can love their body, why can't I love my body? And then I get down on myself. And so my whole thing is, I don't think they're, you know, it's unrealistic to think every time you look in a mirror, you're going to be like, hell yes, I fucking rock. But what you can do is that the second your brain ever catches a glimpse of yourself somewhere and you get, you go down that critical road, instantaneously, I stop myself and I actually say out loud three things I love about my body. And like, I will look in the mirror and, you know, say all these wonderful things to myself. The other day I was on a run and I was in my own head and I just started saying these and not manifestations, but almost like affirmations to myself. And that has been incredibly helpful. And so I think just acknowledging when your mind is going down that negative road and like putting up a roadblock and actually talking to yourself and saying, we are not doing this. We're not beating ourselves up for this. We are amazing because of XYZ. I love that. I think it's so true. And I think probably every woman if they've grown up with a mirror and a magazine mm-hmm. and you know being totally. in any kind of public setting has had moments if not years of all those feelings mm-hmm. that you were talking about with the numbers and all of that and it is fascinating how I'm I'm sure there are men who have some of this as well but it is Definitely. such a um yeah it is a pl- it's a real prison for women for sure and I I do it's funny to this day I ask the doctor not to say out loud what the the scale is. I just yeah, and, and it's and like and I'm not told me to start you know, that. I'm not big, but mm-hmm. I just because I think it's a number and the number can no matter what make you feel you know less it can make you feel inferior and who knows why. Totally. It's just it's just a fucking number. But mm-hmm. I just I will always be like and the nurse is like step on the scale and I'm like that's fine. I'm going to look away. Will you just write it? I don't want to know. And yeah. yeah, you know most I'm sure they hear it enough that they're not like, oh, she's. Oh no, my therapist was like, I, I tell all them, all my like, patients I, do this. Yes. Yeah, it's just, it's just. I think it's just like because I, the only time I probably liked hearing or didn't care was when I was pregnant. You know, <laughs> it was like okay, right, whatever. exactly. But I just feel like it's um, a number that is given way too much um, power over us, and it's so more about weight. how we feel. And I do the same thing. It's like look at one, but and this is what I try and. Um, teach is like, look at what my body can do. Look at what I'm exactly. capable of. And I, I think being a physical therapist in my early twenties, uh, you know, that's when I started and working with mm-hmm. severely, severely disabled people. I, it just gave me a totally new perspective. Like I remember walking oh, out sure. every day of like the rehab center. And I, I was like, never, ever, ever take for granted your ability to walk outside on your own mm-hmm. volition and, and you know what I mean? And so if we look at our body as actually this, you know, this place of a, it's a miracle and stop like kind of, you know, yeah, like maybe you can't be, I think body positivity, it should come more from your just general positive about yourself. Like I'm the best yes. and that the body and mm-hmm. mind and heart, they're all intertwined and stop like kind of 
cutting them into separate parts and analyzing them. So I agree. And what you were saying really resonates with me because my accident helped me so much in this sense because I used to be, you know, obsessed about running. And this all kind of changed for me with the accident because for two months I couldn't do anything. And then I was like so grateful for just being able to walk five blocks without a headache because I couldn't do that in the beginning. And so after that, I promised myself it's kind of like when you're sick with a cold and you can't breathe through your nose, you're like, what does it feel like to breathe through your nose every day? And then when you get healthy again, you forget those thoughts ever happened and you just breathe and you take it for granted. And so for me, I promised myself that I would not take anything for granted. And I used to be upset if I wasted, quote unquote, wasted 30 minutes on an exercise that I thought was a total waste of my time. But anytime I'm able to move my body, even if it's just getting out of bed, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's wonderful. And that's that's a good note to end on because body, body issues are a big yeah. topic. But I think if we can kind of cut through all of it, all the noise, all the comparisons, comparisons to others and comparisons to past selves and other Definitely. time periods, it's like, let's just be as present and as, um, you know, as grateful and not in this kind of woo-woo way, but in reality, like we are alive, like that we can't take that Absolutely. for granted. And we have our health. And if we're able to move, then let's appreciate this vehicle that we're moving in. And uh, I think that that usually kind of takes everything, makes everything seem a lot clearer. I agree, 100%. Well, thank you so much for joining me again today. You are such an inspiration. Keep on doing what you're doing. People can find all this Cameron stuff on the Freckled Foodie on Instagram. And then your website is? freckledfoodie.com. And on Instagram, just because there was another person that was the freckled foodie, I'm um, just freckled foodie. You're just freckled foodie. Are you trademarking that? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to. Good. Do that I'm having sooner than later. Yeah. I know. I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, having had to trademark a lot of things, do it sooner than later. Yeah. Well, very good. Freckledfoodie.com. Go, go look at all. And, and by the way, I have to tell you, so I made your sweet potato cat, uh, lasagna. Lasagna. Two nights ago, and uh, vegan,ized it, and it was yes. unbelievable. I did cashew cheese. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I'll, love cashew cheese. I'll have to post about it and give you credit because yeah. it was oh, so amazing. It was so amazing. Oh my god! Yeah. Thank you. So she has so many great recipes. Thank you so much. Hugs to you. Thanks for sharing all of you with us, and um, thank you all for listening. And as always, I'm pulling for you. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.